Oh, man, it's good to be back up here with you guys. Um, Tyson and team, thank you guys for leading us in worship. It's good good stuff. We are closing out um, the three-part series in Judges. And uh, how many of you guys have, have kind of... Uh, how, has anyone ever read through Judges before? So not super surprised at the the depravity that's um, that's brought up in this book, but there's some really messed up stuff in this book, and and the last couple of chapters are just, I mean, it is it is uh, it's pretty intense. But we're looking at um, the story of Samson today, and and uh, George Santana in uh, 1905 said, "Those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it." Um, and really, the Judges is a book revealing how the Israelites once again have characterized themselves by this, their, their cyclical past of, of um, falling on the same snares and in the same traps that they have over and over again. In fact, um, you, if you look at the, the graphic up there with the cycle, it's kind of the, the, the typical story of Israel is, is God promises blessing and provides opportunity for them to walk in that. The Israel serves the Lord, and then as a thanks, they begin to do what's evil in his sight. Uh, in fact, uh, seven times just in Judges, we're told seven different occasions that Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, 29 times in the Old Testament that's mentioned. And you would think, looking back at history and thinking, like, what were these guys thinking? Why couldn't they just get it through their thick heads that that there's a way to live and a way not to live? And yet they keep, they kept repeating that cycle, but... If we really look, um, it's not much different than the cycles we live in today. In fact, how many of us um, really cry out to the Lord when we're in trouble or under hardship, but we tend to wander away a little bit when when life seems to be going a little easy, and then God brings us back into this place of of crying and, and crying out for Him and, and realizing our need for Him once again. And so Israel um, Israel does what's evil on the side of the Lord, and then God does exactly what He promises. He sends them into captivity, removes the blessing from them, and then they cry out to the Lord again, and he, he sends a deliverer. He sends someone to come and judge. And, and w- when we look at the judges in Israel, uh, these aren't so much like magistrate or law-enforcing judges. These are more of, of your leaders, the, the cultural leaders. Remember that Israel at the time doesn't have, they don't have Moses anymore. They don't have like a singular leader. They don't have Joshua. They're kind of dispersed now into different areas, and there's judges appointed over them. And these judges are typically military leaders, political leaders, um, they're not just there to sit, you know, at a behind a uh, in a courtroom basically and, and judge the the actions. So when we think of the judges, we're talking about people with with immense influence over Israel. We saw that Deborah last week was a judge um, of Israel, and what we have here is is in this book of Judges. I think it is tragic and and cringeworthy at best. It, it's embarrassing for the people of Israel. It's embarrassing even to read and go, my goodness, God, help me understand what is happening in this. Like, like if there's a book that shows God's mercy despite people's actions, it's Judges. And I think that's the point of Judges, not so much to pull out heroes, but actually show like the depravity of man left up to ourselves. This is what we do. This, this is our own drawing away, our own enticement. In fact, if you remember in the book of Numbers that we went through a couple years, a couple months ago, 
Israel's sitting on the, on the border looking at their promised land. God has got, they are the generation that finally gets to enter the promised land and filled with milk and honey and all this stuff. And they're waiting on the right time to go in and they can't even wait in faithfulness to the Lord. In fact, they're saying, hey, we got our promise. It's just right over the border. Now we're going to start doing what's right in our own eyes. And so the, the men are enticed out by the, by the Moabite women and they begin to kindle God's anger against them. God sends, sends a plague, kills 15,000 Israelites, and then, and then someone is appointed, say, hey, enough is enough. Let's cry out to the Lord for mercy. God sends mercy, and they enter into the land. It's the same story over and over and over again. The only people on earth who had the written word of God were the Israelites. The only people who had a covenant with God were the Israelites. He said, I'll be your God and you be my people. And, and a failure by the leaders to embrace what they were taught actually led to, to the decay of the people. The, these leaders had generations of these cycles over and over to learn from. And you would think, looking back, you would learn from your past. And I don't know what type of learner you are, but I am not a, um, I am not an easy learner. I have to figure things out my way and the hard way. And I don't typically learn from the past. So I, I, I do not look at these guys as, as being so different from myself. And, and some of you might not be vicarious or some of you might be vicarious learners and look and be like, hey, I'm not doing that. I have a couple of kids that are that way. I'm thankful for that. But I was not that child. And so when I look at, at the, the way Israel kept slipping into these cycles, I, I, I want to go, man, are you guys crazy? And then I look at my own life. I'm like, Josh, are you crazy? Like, stop doing the same things, expecting different results. And it's not just a cycle of judges, but it's actually the, the downward spiral of all of Israel. They drifted from God and ran head first towards idols, and that's what they, that's what they were prone to do. From safety to sin to suffering to petition to salvation to safety and back around to sin once again. And I think the author wants us to come face to face, face to face with God's faithfulness, but is but also our own depravity left up to our own decisions and, and our own doing what's right in our eyes. We've seen how insufficient of saviors we are for ourselves, and, and so we recognize our need for a savior. And I think I think we we not only recognize our need for a savior, but I think sometimes we fail to recognize our need for a Lord. That, that we, we see Jesus and say, thank you for saving me, but I don't need you as Lord. I just need you as Savior. And I think really what, what we're shown here is our need for a Lord as well. Um, so so we're, we're jumping into the life of Samson. Samson was a judge over Israel for 20 years. And, and you know, it's easy for us to look at these characters as being heroes and, and at least my, my upbringing, I, all I saw was, I, I was actually trying to Google a picture. I don't know if you guys, anyone ever watched the old Bible cartoons? I, I, they were VHS and they were silver, um, silver covers with all the different Bible stories. Anyone ever, ever watch those at all? They're like all from the eighties. No, am I alone? Okay. Well, you have, okay. I was trying to find like what that series was. I couldn't find it anywhere on the internet, but I just remember thinking like, here's this picture of Samson up on this hill and crushing out. You're thinking, Oh, poor Samson. He just got, he just got his eyes plucked out and all this stuff. Oh man. And then you read judges. You're like, Samson was kind of a bum. Like he was a womanizer. He was arrogant. He was violent. Like, What's up with this guy? I don't really like his strength, maybe, but 
that, even that was a gift from the Lord. So aside from God, God's spirit coming upon Samson, which we read in, in, in chapters 13 through 16, we read these instances where the spirit rushed upon Samson and he's able to kill these guys. Um, he wasn't that great of a guy. Sorry to burst the bubble. He just, he wasn't. He was a man of faith, but he certainly wasn't a faithful man. And there's a difference of being a man of faith versus being a faithful man. We can have faith, but not be faithful men. Interestingly, though, is he's, he's one of only four people mentioned in the Bible whose birth was, was foretold by an angel. So I, I think there was something that God wanted to do special with Samson, a, a deliverance of Israel out of the captivity, out of under the thumb of the Canaanites once and for all. And so he, he raised up Samson from birth and, and had him take a Nazarite vow and gave him the strength to do what was needed, to do what God wanted him to do for the people. And Samson took that gift and used it for his own glory. It doesn't negate the fact that Samson was a man of faith, but we need to remember that being a person of faith doesn't necessarily mean we're faithful people. And it didn't take long for Samson to lose almost everything the Lord had given him except his, his strength, and even then he eventually lost that as well. He's a man guided by lust and desire, and rather than the, the word of God, he just gave in to his impulses and, and his, his emotions and how he felt about situations, and he loved violence, he loves women, he's, he's drunk on his own pride. I mean, this guy was, was haughty. He insisted on marrying a Philistine woman because it was right in his own eyes. We read about that in chapter, I think, 13 or 14. His wife, uh, uh, he, he, he marries this Philistine woman, and, and his, his parents are like, Samson, can't you find someone of your own people? And he says, no, this woman's right in my own eyes. It's advantageous for me in order for my, for my campaign against the Philistines. He hated the Philistines. So that was, that was good. He, he, he was going to do what Joshua should have done and wipe out all of them. But he looks at this woman and he says, Hey, I, I want to make her my wife. And it's right in my eyes because it makes sense militarily for me. It gives me a foot into the Philistines. So he wasn't looking to love a woman, to care for a woman, to, to show a godly affection for a woman. He was looking to use a woman. He neglected and broke his Nazarite vow on special occasions. If you, if you want to look more on the Nazarite vow, you can, um, you can look, go to number six and they can talk about it. But basically, no razor to their head, which I do not take the Nazarite vow. Uh, they, they weren't to be around death or in contact with anything dead. And they weren't to eat or drink of anything from a vine. That was, that was the basic, basic premise of Nazarite vow. But if you read, and, and I would encourage you to read the, the whole story, we're just going to be camped in, in chapter 16 today, but, but early on, he kills a lion, but that lion is near a vineyard, which, Samson, what were you doing near a vineyard? Um, his, his sin began with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and now we see in chapter 16 that it's really coming down to the pride of life. Like he is fully absorbing this. He, he goes back to that lion that he killed and he ate the honey from the carcass. So he, he goes back and sees that there's a, there's a bunch of honey in this carcass. So he scrapes the honey out, which right there, he just broke his Nazarite vow again by touching anything that was dead. He scrapes the honey out, brings it back to his family, doesn't tell his parents that where he got the honey from. And then his wife at the time, he, he she's, she's a Philistine. And so, so she, she's around her friends and, and the Lords of the Philistines and all this stuff. And he says, hey, let me give you a riddle. And then he gives him the riddle. He says, if you can solve the riddle, 
I will give each of your men to 30 men. I will give each of your men uh, basically clothing and supplies. And so they couldn't figure it out for three days. And then they, they start pressing her and like, hey, get, get, him to, get him to tell you what it is and then tell us what the answer is that we would have it. So she pressed him and pressed him and pressed him for seven days. And finally, he's like, all right, fine. Obviously, he had a, a weakness towards uh, the, the females. And so he gave in. She goes and tells the Philistines. And, and they, they come back and say, hey, here it is. You owe us this. Well, he gets enraged at her ends up going and killing killing 30 men, taking those and giving it to the people, and then goes and kills about a 1,000 more Philistines. And then his wife, now he's so angry at her that his parents give her to his best man. I mean, it's just like drama follows this guy everywhere he goes because he's impulsive, because he's doing what's right in his own eyes. He breaks his vows because it makes sense to get, to get honey from a carcass. He breaks his vow to get revenge. And rather than being a judge who fights for the sake of his people, like Deborah did, Samson fights for what, what, what is, is really seeking to settle his own disputes. He creates this drama, and then we see these battles are all stemming from his own created drama in his life. Now, did God want the Philistines dead? Absolutely. Did God use Samson to, to begin to accomplish this? Absolutely. Just because God uses someone and gifts someone to do something does not mean that those people are faithfully walking with the Lord. God is going to accomplish his will. So at every turn, Samson is a guy who looks out for his own interests rather than the interests of others. And that's exactly the opposite of what God's people are called to do. In fact, it seems like book of Proverbs is written for just a man as Samson. He wasn't pleasing to the Lord, not even honoring to his parents, but to himself. And Samson's, the story of Samson, at least, his life revolves around a few key women, his, his mother, uh, his Philistine wife, a Philistine prostitute, and then the infamous Delilah. So let's go ahead and read chapter 16. It's a bit long, but we'll get through it. Um, and then we'll, uh, we'll kind of just look at a couple key verses as we go through there. Uh, verse 1, chapter 16. Samson went to Gaza. There he saw a prostitute and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night saying, let us wait till the light of the morning, then we'll kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gates of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is, that is in front of Hebron. <laughs> After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistine came to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And, and we, we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies. Well, at least that's how he was interpreting it. But he was cunning and arrogant because he allows this to happen a couple times. And you, so she says, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Come, does Samson have zero discernment? Like, why, why do you need to know that? But he doesn't because he's so proud 
that I think even in his potential um, um, being overran with Philistines, he's still so confident in himself that he could he could uh, uh, defend or kill whatever's coming at him. So he continues this game with her. Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I should become weak and be like any other man. I mean, is this a really healthy way to start a relationship? Like the woman trying to get the, 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 the love of her life killed and him continuing lying to her about this. Like this, this is the, the chaos that surrounds uh, a Samson's life. And the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried and she bound him with them, verse nine. And she had many men laying in ambush in an inner chamber. And she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstring, says a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Never mind that I'm trying to get you killed. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, all right. I mean, this is a game we play with our kids. I mean, really, like this is a game we play with our kids, but this is not a game to them. It's crazy. And he said to her, if they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took the ropes and bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. The men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber again, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web, and she made them tight with the pin and said to, said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he woke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, how can you say I love you? When your heart is not with me, you have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. It's the same thing that happened with his, with his first, his Philistine wife. When she pressed him day after day and day, he finally just grew weary and gave in. Verse 17, and he told her all his heart and said to her, razors never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines saying, come up again, for he has told me all of his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees and she called the man and had him shave off the seven locks of the head and she began to torment him and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I'll go out at another time and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in, in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry... They said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. 
They made him stand between the pillars, and Samson said to the young man who held him by his hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O oh Lord God, please remember me and my strength. Uh, please, please strengthen me only this once, O oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up to uh, brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtol and the, the tomb of Manoah, his father. And he had judged Israel 20 years. Whew. So we see that Samson is, is a man that is self-directed. We, see, we also see that God carried his will out for, for, the, for the Philistines to continue to die, even though Samson was, was walking in his own strength. He was, he was walking as a man who was directed by himself. His pride and dedication to living by his rules and impulses ultimately led to his undoing. And there's three areas of weakness we're going to look at today in, in Samson's life. And, and I think that, that to see these weaknesses and see God exercising his will still in the midst of that gives testimony to God's grace and God's uh, accomplishment of what he sets out to do despite his people's obedience. First is Samson's weakness in tempting himself. The second is his weakness in betraying himself. And third is weakness in destroying himself. So let's look at, at his, his weakness in tempting himself. In verse 1 of chapter 16, Samson went to Gaza. And there he saw a prostitute and he went into her. So first we see that, that, that because Samson is driven by his own lust, his own desires, he goes to Gaza. Now there's no reason for him to go to Gaza. We're not told in scripture why he was there, but we can guarantee that he is a man who loved to fight. He was, he was picking fights. He would, he would entertain drama everywhere he went because he was the alpha male. And it didn't matter how big the group was. He was going to win. But what he doesn't know, what, what he does know though is that, that Gaza is deep into Philistine territory and he doesn't just stumble upon there. He didn't just stumble upon the vineyard when he killed the, the lion. Whatever the case, Samson finds himself in compromising situations. He didn't have to be there. He didn't have to be tempted by the prostitute. He isn't a man who's guided by God's word or honoring God, but rather his own impulses, his own feelings. So he leads himself into temptation and commits egregious sins. And how often do we lead ourselves into those? How often do we put ourselves in those situations where, where we, we are prone, especially in moments of weakness or being self-directed, that we already struggle with and we put ourselves into tempting situations? I think of how my, my, I, I tempt myself in my, in my anger by watching the news and finding no, like, no joy, no hope, just like 
what in the world is happening. And it doesn't lead me to a time of prayer. Maybe it should, but all I do is like, man, I'm feeling a little froggy. And we all know how that is, right? Like you wake up, you're like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm drinking some haterade this morning. I'm going to look for every opportunity to, I mean, come on. Like we all, we all deal with those days. And so we end up putting ourselves in situations that we're tempted by. Proverbs talks about, all throughout Proverbs talks about staying away from the street corners of the enticing woman and, and, and controlling our anger and, and not being in the presence of wicked people because it is going to give opportunity for that, for, for sin to take place. Compromising and doing what feels good is, is almost always what guides us into sin. And my question is, are we walking into Gaza with no plan to keep our feet from walking into sin? We live in a Canaanite culture. I mean, the Canaanites, they, they, they were, they were uh, not just innocent people. I mean, think of Joshua. Joshua left unfinished business in the land of Canaan. He was told to go in there and wipe out every man, woman, and child, and, and the land was theirs. And, and we think like, man, God, that's, that's pretty brutal. But let, let's look at what the Canaanites were doing. There's a reason they hated God. They hated God's people. I mean, these were, these, the, the sexual morality was rampant in the Canaanite culture. Prostitution, all this stuff was, was rampant. They would even take babies and, and sacrifice babies. They built bronze and, and, um, um, iron, uh, bowls, hollow, hollow inside. They would put the baby in from the top, light a fire underneath it. And have holes in the in the nostrils of the bull, so that when the baby was was dying and screaming, it would come out the bull, and that was the sound of their worship to their god. That was a regular practice. These people were were immensely evil. This was a land full of evil people. And Joshua was a man of character. He was a man that became a courageous man. And he comes in, and, and God's like, "Wipe them out. They will cause immense heartache." And I'd only imagine that Joshua, after a while of, of, of taking these villages in different places and seeing like the dead kids and, and women and, and men that were probably all right, you know, nice guys up front, and he, he probably wore on them thinking, I know God told me to do that, but what if we can accomplish the same thing if we made a treaty? Understandably, Josh didn't want to go around killing everyone like God had instructed him to. So what did Josh do? He did what was right in his own eyes. He did what seemed right rather than listen to the voice of God. And because of that unfinished business, many of even Israelites, women and children were were killed because he didn't do what the Lord had instructed him to do. And it's so often our excuse too, that we, we know the right we ought to do. We, we, maybe it's God speaking clearly to us and we say, ah, there's gotta be a different way. There's gotta be a different way. So we're enticed into doing what's right in our own eyes. In fact, James 1, 13 through 15 says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God for God cannot tempt, be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it's conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it's fully grown brings forth death. So in the case of Samson, the people of Gaza laid a trap for him. And even though God was gracious in giving him strength to escape the city, we can't interpret God's grace as a tactic for how to live life. Judges is a descriptive book, meaning, meaning there, are some, there are some passages and, and scriptures and books that are descriptive, some that are prescriptive. 
And we can look at the life of David. We can look at Judges and be like, okay, well, um, I think this is prescriptive. So I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, and it's fine. Um, this is a descriptive book. It's just describing events that took place. It's not directing us to live out these lives to accomplish these same things. And so, so Samson's life is not a model for us to, to be prescribed as, as a model for us to live. It's a description. So we read it as, as a story that's described to us. And even though God wasn't finished with Samson, doesn't mean he gets a pass for his actions. In fact, Romans, Paul says in Romans 6, 1 and 2, he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? But think about from Samson's perspective. He's living this debaucherous lifestyle. He's breaking his vow slowly. God's not striking him dead. In fact, quite the opposite. God's spirit is rushing upon him to kill these guys. So in Samson's mind, he's thinking, hey, I'm getting away with it. Apparently, it's not that big of a deal because I'm still getting away with it. But what he failed to realize is that God was accomplishing what God wanted to do. It, was, it wasn't that, Sam, that, that Samson was living a faithful life. So God still was going to accomplish, and it's not an excuse for us to say, hey, we can sin that grace may abound. And so the, the author pivots now in this, in this part, and in verse 4, we see Samson's weakness in betraying himself. He says, after he loved a woman in the Valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Again, Samson's drawn away by a foreign woman. Didn't matter what God asked. Samson was doing what was right in his own eyes. The Philistines knew Samson's weakness. They knew to look at him and be like, Woman is going to be his weakness. This guy was the proud, arrogant alpha male who just, who was, and it really shows the effects of pride, the blinding effects of pride, because even his enemies knew they aren't going to take him by force. They're going to take him by female. You guys remember when the Israelites were standing, coming into Canaan, and they begin to, to um, uh, basically, the, the uh, Balak was like, hey, um, I need to destroy these guys. I can't with my army, and I can't curse them, because I've tried to do that, and, and God only ends up forcing a blessing on them. So what am I going to do? I'm going to entice them to kindle God's anger against them so that he would destroy them. Well, look, look what happened here is, is the same thing with Samson is they knew, hey, we can't destroy him by force. So let's, let's get him in his weak spot. And the Israelites, they had a weak spot. The Israelite men had a weak spot for, for, um, debaucherous women and it cost them. So, so we see that, um, the, the, the Philistines have been embarrassed by Samson too many times. And they're done with it. So they, they go, I mean, they're bold and go right to, and that was a risk on their, on their part. Like Delilah and Samson, they were in a relationship. I, I would question the quality of that relationship, but they, they were together and, and they continued to go to Delilah and offer her money again, money for the betrayal of a relationship. Sound familiar? So three times Delilah tries to get a secret. And then in verse 16, it says, when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. Drama just follows this guy. I mean, the common denominator in Samson's life and all the drama and chaos that followed him was himself. He was like an open, open invitation to drama and chaos in his life. But, but verse 20, the latter part of verse 20, says something very interesting. I think is is one of the most tragic 
statements in this story. He says, I will go out as, as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. To operate with such self-reliance that you don't know when the Spirit of God, when God has left you. That's an interesting statement. Francis Chan in his book, The Forgotten God, which I, I recommend, um, said, those of us who believe in Jesus would never deny the truth that we have the spirit of the living God, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead living inside of us. I'm just not convinced that we've internalized this truth and enjoyed his blessings as he intends. It seems this is mostly head knowledge to us and that we have not owned it. It has not really made much of a difference in our lives. Here's, here's a really crazy statement. To the degree that if we woke up tomorrow and discovered that it is not true the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, most likely our lives wouldn't look much different. What would our lives look like if we woke up tomorrow and discovered that the Spirit of God doesn't live within us? Would it... Would, would it would it send you in this place of like, no, there's no way because I, I'm experiencing the Spirit of God move in me and, and direct me and guide me and empower me? Or is it like, oh, well, I guess that makes sense because I can do a lot of things on my own. But we know Jesus himself even said the Son of Man can do nothing on his own. He only does what he sees his Father doing. Galatians 5, 16 through 21, Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Now let's compare this to Samson's life. Okay, The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. It would seem like Samson wasn't too concerned with living a life in devotion to the Lord. We walk by the Spirit by staying connected to the vine. That we are invited to make our home with Jesus. That we are that we are our only chance for hope, our only our only uh, uh, um, opportunity to walk in the Spirit is to stay connected to that vine. And finally, we come to Samson's weakness in destroying himself. Verse twenty-eight: Samson called to the Lord and said, "O oh Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once." Oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. I mean, that is like a pleading of like, God, one more time, please, Lord. It's almost like we get this idea like, here's the moment of repentance for Samson. He finally rises. His, his, he knows his life is coming to an end. And he's, he, he feels guilty about dishonoring the Lord in his lifestyle, breaking his vows, all that stuff. So we see this crying out of repentance, and except we don't see that at all. In fact, we still see that even though Samson's eyes were gouged out, he died with his eyes on himself. That, that he asked the Lord, oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. He was so angry, so upset that he had been beaten, that he asked the Lord to, to allow him to avenge, uh, avenge the Philistines for his two eyes. To his credit, though, he didn't blame God for the chaos in his life, not once. 
Samson wasn't, wasn't blaming God. He wasn't questioning God um, of why, why all this stuff was happening to him. Rather, he, he did cry out to the Lord because he had faith. And, and this is where the difference in having faith is different than being a person of faithfulness. Because we see in Hebrews 11, 32 through 34, it says, what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, which we read, we, we learned about Barak last week, Samson, Japheth, of David, of Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Like we, we read these in Hebrews and we're like, these guys are heroes. And all of them in Hebrews 11 most of them had major moral failings, major moral failings. So I, I begin to look, and it was, this, is, this week was the first time I realized this, that the commonality was their faith in God, not their faithfulness to God. That they believed God can do something, and so God used them and, and, and accomplished partly his will through them, but they were majority of them were not faithful to him. They just had faith in him. See, Samson's weakness was not his lack of strength. It was that he did what was right in his own eyes. Japheth, one, one, of, the, one of the faith giants listed in Hebrews 11, he was a judge before Samson, right before Samson. And Japheth says, God, he didn't understand God because he, he, he didn't have a lot of the, the, the generational uh, faith uh, stories passed down to him. So he was kind of learning God. But this is, this is how far away from the heart of God these judges of Israel were. The people who were supposed to lead, lead these people into a deeper relationship with the Lord, a, deep, a greater faithfulness. This is Japheth. God, give me this war and I'll give you, I'll sacrifice my daughter. His only child, his daughter. And he says, he says, if you give me this, this battle, if I win, I'll, I'll kill her. I'll sacrifice her. And so it happened. He won. Then he goes back and he's like, oh, sweetheart, daddy won the battle. So I got to kill you. And he killed her. I mean, that's, that's insane. It's so far away from the heart of God. And this is where these leaders of God's people were going. But he had faith in God. See, I want us to be people of faith in God who walk faith-filled lives in devotion to him. The close of Judges, it's mentioned four times that the people did what was right in their own eyes, meaning they allowed their feelings to direct their devotion. They allowed their feelings of, of their current circumstances. Joshua, even David did this to a degree. Samson, Barak, uh, Gideon, all these guys did what was right in their own eyes because they had a feeling like, I just don't think that God would have me do that. I think that there's a little fudge room here. I think there's a little wiggle room for me to do what I'd like to do. See, Samson, despite his strength, he was a weak man. He allowed his pride and lust to drive him. He, he didn't exercise self-control. And the sad thing is today, it's characters like Samson's that are admired in, in our culture. Men who are self-seeking, who are proud, who are immoral even. You know, we live in a culture where, where what is good is evil and what is evil is called good. We are, we are fully, fully into the depths of that. 
And if we go based off of our feelings, which is why we're at that place that we see, we're going to be, we're going to fall in the same traps of the culture that, that is in opposition to the things of God. And what makes, what makes a person strong is, is a willingness to put our feelings aside and out of love walk in obedience to the Lord, to die to ourselves, to pick up our cross and follow Christ. I think so often it's, it's, it, we're trying to have this, 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 both this pleasure seeking and this faith like, like Samson was, was trying to have and it doesn't work. It, it's, it's not, God will still work through us because God is working to accomplish his purpose, but he cares more about what he's doing in us and what he does through us. And he wants us to be faith-filled people. And no one, no one modeled this greater for us than, than Jesus in the garden. When he asked, he didn't feel like going to the cross. And he said, dad, if there's any way, let this cup be taken from me. Despite how I feel though, it's not my will, it's your will. And he submitted to the father. So there's a big difference in having faith and being faithful. All of uh, Tyson and the team come back up. See, there's a way that we can avoid the pitfalls. And, and, I, and I think that there are things that we could look at these men of faith and say, man, I want to grow in my faith. I want to trust God more. But I don't, I don't want to do that without being someone who walks faithfully in submission to him. So how do we avoid the, these pitfalls? Well, I think, I think there's a, a, a few things that we need to remember always. One is that, that you can't outsend the cross of Christ. No, it does not matter. We are all JV level, level sinners compared to what we read about in Scripture where God brings, brings mercy. And, and, is, and we're told that his mercies are new every day. Like it is a matter of God saying, I don't care what you've done in your past. Cry to me reach out to me and I will extend mercy. And this is the character of God we see over and over and over again. You can't out the cross of Christ. Mercy is always offered. Second is that God is not against you no matter how it feels. God is not against you. Now, the caveat to that is that he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So if you are a proud man, God will oppose you. But if you are humble, then you will never experience opposition from the Lord. And third, discipline is necessary for it to grow. Hebrews says, don't despise the discipline of the Lord for he disciplines those whom he loves. And discipline can be brutal sometimes. It can be, it can be so hard. And I don't know if you've been through seasons of discipline where you're like, Lord, I feel like I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. I see no hope. I see no, everything's just crumbling and everything, everything's just falling apart. And you're like, man, I'm in a whirlwind right now, but God's with me. And there's a presence with God with me that's kind of carrying me through this. And it's not comfortable. I don't get to run right now, but I take one step and foot in front of the other right now in this season. And God painfully rips out the pride, painfully rips out the, the egos and the, the sin and begins to give us a new life. And it's painful. And, and there's, a, there's a phrase in Hebrews in this passage where he talks about the discipline. He says, strengthen your feeble knees. And I don't know if you guys got spankings as a kid, but I remember my knees being real weak at times. But it wasn't done from a loving father. See, God says strengthen your feeble knees because it's for your good that he brings us through 
these. He's not an abusive father. He's, he's disciplining us to train us, to keep us from these crazy destructive patterns that we love to do because our hearts always lead us to depravity. And that depravity is where death is found. Fourth, your feelings are not the Holy Spirit. We're told that those who, who are called sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. We can't be led by our feelings. And I'm not one to say feelings don't matter. In fact, the next thing to remember is that feelings are a gift from God, but those feelings should always lead us. No matter what feeling it is, it should always lead to an engagement with the Lord. Whether it's feelings of sorrow, we come to the Lord and, 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 and give him our, our sorrows and give him uh, the, the time to, to speak comfort to us. Whether it's happiness, we, we take our feelings and we take our heart to the Lord in thankfulness. And whether it's, it's anger, we, man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. So we say, God, I feel angry about this. Help speak truth. Open the eyes of my heart. No matter what emotion it is. Anxiety, cast your cares on the Lord for he's merciful. So our feelings are a gift, but they are not to lead us in place of the Holy Spirit. Six is obsess over Jesus. I don't mean just know about him. I mean obsess over him. Make your home with Jesus. Don't visit him like, like a, a vacation rental or Airbnb or whatever Make your home with him. And we're talking, it requires an obsession that, that outweighs anything that we're obsessed with on earth. That's where our peace is found. In fact, Luke eleven thirty four 34, something I think, he, he talks about the eye is a lamp of the body. And whatever eye is singularly focused, his whole body is full of light. Isaiah 26 says, the man who's, who's given perfect peace is the one whose mind is stayed on the Lord, is obsessively fixed on the Lord. That's where our peace is gonna come from. And finally, be strong in the Lord and not yourself, not ourselves. Ephesians 6.10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. See, Israel needed a godly king to lead in doing what was right in the Lord's eyes. Not a leader who did what was right in our own eyes. And we need to be people who does what's right in the sight of the Lord, not in our own sight, because it doesn't make sense. Our children, our spouses, our communities need people. Our culture needs people to do what's right in the sight of the Lord, because God is not opposed to his creation. He's opposed to evil. And so my, my plead with us today is that we would give time to the Lord as we, as we seek and say, God, what areas of my life have I not been, been following you in? What, what are the things that you've been speaking to me about that I say, no, I'm going to do what's right in my own eyes, God. It doesn't make sense what you're asking me to do. So I'm going to find another way. And we take those things and we just say, God, take this from me. Give me courage to do what you're asking. Give me courage to step out in a faith that, 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 that is scary, that freaks me out to think about like, God, give me the boldness to speak when I need to. Give me the, give me the courage to, to walk countercultural to, to what's in opposition to you. Give me the courage to love those that are unlovable because that's what's right in the Lord's eyes. Will you stand as we just close with a, a couple songs of worship? And, and I would just encourage you during this time to, to seek out what it is the Lord would have you surrender back to him. 
And I promise he will, he will give you something because he's always working amongst his people for our good.